It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. The past weeks we have been studying how God desires that each of us would experience life to its fullest. And we have seen that God has given us a guide in his holy book, but the Bible speaks of salvation. The word salvation means the act of saving. What is it that we need to be saved from? How are we to be saved? What should a saved people look like? You know, the Bible records that God's people spent 400 years of bondage in Egypt. Then they experienced a terrible time of disobedience as they wandered in the wilderness. And afterwards, God's people were in a kingdom that was divided after the reign of Solomon. They experienced constant attacks from their neighbors, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, just to name a few. And then they were persecuted under the Babylonians and persecuted under the Medo-Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans. To many, it would seem that all hope was lost and they weren't living life to its fullest and there was no possibility to do so. In fact, many of the Israelite people wondered, would deliverance ever come in their lifetime? Where was the promised Messiah of Israel? Where was the one who would retake the throne of David? In the classic book on the life of Christ, The Desire of Ages, it says these words, The Savior's coming was foretold in Eden. When Adam and Eve first heard the promise, they looked for its speedy fulfillment. They joyfully welcomed their firstborn son, hoping that he might be the deliverer. But the fulfillment of the promise tarried. Those who first received it died without the sight. From the days of Enoch, the promise was repeated through patriarchs and prophets keeping alive the hope of his appearing, and yet he came not. And it is at this point in history and this piece of history that Paul utilizes as the background for the passage we will study today. So let's open our Bibles to Galatians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ." 
Paul is writing to a group of believers in the region of Galatia. It would seem that this letter was not intended for one church, but rather a group of churches there in the region. Somehow, apostasy had slipped into the church. Teachers had entered that were particularly trying to Judaize the group. This group was erasing the gospel principle of being saved by grace through faith alone, and they were replacing it with a more works-oriented gospel. They were reinstating things such as circumcision as a means of salvation. Paul here is trying to fend off the erroneous idea that a man can earn his own salvation by a rigorous adherence to the law. And so it is here where we join Paul in the midst of his argument. So again, in verses 1 through 3, Paul says these words, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Paul here wants to address the Galatian people where they are at in their understanding of the gospel message. They believe because they are children of Abraham and are adherents to the letter of the law that they have earned their inheritance as children of God. But Paul begins to pluck apart such an argument piece by piece. He first meets them head on by assuming that they are, in fact, heirs. But then he deflates their puffed-up egos by saying, as long as he is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. The Greek word for child in this instance literally means a minor or a small child, not much more than three or four years in age. Paul says, yes, a child of three or four is an heir. However, at that age... He's no different than a slave or a servant. The parents are still in control of this child. Therefore, just as a servant or a slave, the child is not free. Now, Paul continues along this line of reasoning by saying, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Yes, someday this small child will be the master of all, but for now he is under guardians and stewards. Quite literally, he is under a teacher and a supervisor. This child, who is the heir, who indeed will be the master of all things, right now is under the tutelage of a teacher and a supervisor until a time appointed by the father. Now, it's important to understand ancient culture and customs. And so it was in the Middle Eastern custom to have a tutor and a supervisor watch over an heir so that the heir would not squander away his inheritance. There was a time, however, that was appointed when the child would enter into the full enjoyment of the inheritance and would have the freedom to choose. And so then Paul completes his argument by adding these words. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. The word elements here in the Greek means the very basics, the beginnings of the alphabet, the very rudiments of knowledge. Paul points out that even as a child, 
and being under the tutelage of a teacher and a supervisor that a child is limited. It is limited to the very basic rudiments of knowledge. They do not yet have the information in life to make good decisions on their own. So the tutor and supervisor point them in the right direction and gives them guidance in decision-making. Quite eloquently, Paul has metaphorically discussed the history of Israel and their understanding or their experience of the promises of God. You know, the Hebrew people were the chosen of God. They were heirs according to the promise given to Abraham. Yet their experience was a very limited experience. They were still toddlers in a spiritual sense. They were only enjoying a very limited aspect of the confident promises of God. They were given a great number of symbols of the grace and mercy of God. They were given the symbol of circumcision. They were given the Ten Commandments. They were given the ceremonial law. They were given the civil laws. Yet in all of this, they were still babes. All of these symbols acted as guardians or tutors or supervisors. They educated, certainly, and they pointed to one very important thing. They pointed beyond themselves. They pointed to the time of the Messiah. Yet these symbols only give us a very basic and rudimentary understanding of who God really is. And it is here where Paul pauses and he uses a small word, the word but, moreover, on the contrary. He makes a distinctive pause to inform us that he is about to give us a very powerful exposition on the plan of salvation. He is about to give us a new hope and the real key to abundant living. And that key is found in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Here Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The Bible does not state when an emergency came and all thought was to be lost, then God sent his son. No, 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 no. It says when the fullness of time had come. The word fullness in Greek literally means that which has been brought to completion. The Bible states that when the time came to its fulfillment and when it had been completed, God sent forth his son. What was the indication of this fulfillment? Yet God had sent messages of hope through his prophets over the centuries. Through the prophet Micah. In Micah 5.2, God promised, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You see, the fullness of time had come. 
when this small city would bring forth the chosen one, the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah also would give many messages speaking to the coming of the Messiah, speaking to this fulfillment of time. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, another promise is made. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of these are speaking to the fact that the fullness of time had come and all had been fulfilled. And friends, this son wasn't just thrown into the mix, but he was born into the Jewish community under the law. And Paul had just talked about this situation metaphorically. They lived, the Jews, under the tutelage and supervision of the law. It pointed forward to the coming of God's son. So he was born into this community, but he was also born as a part of this community. He was born of a woman. There need be no doubt on the full humanity of Jesus Christ. He was born from a woman. Yet the text says that he is God's son. So we need not question his full divinity. And it is here in these final three verses that Paul gives us the real reason we experience, we can experience life to its fullest. Paul calls our attention to the ultimate gift. Listen to why God sent his son to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, I want you to notice clearly that the two principles that Paul outlines for the reason for the first coming of Christ, to redeem those who are under the law and to initiate our adoption into God's family. First, Paul speaks of redeeming those who are under the law. Quite simply understood, God's son, Jesus Christ, was to pay the price for our freedom under the law. Notice, it did not and does not say that he came to destroy the law, but rather it says his son came to set them free. No longer do we need to be tutored or be instructed on the first coming of Christ. No longer do we need to sacrifice different animals to point forward to the true sacrifice of our sins. No longer do we need to be shown symbolically what the love of God is all about. Why not? Because he came. Jesus came in the flesh. And Paul is asking this group, why are you doing this? Jesus came already. Now, does his coming negate the moral law? No. But now it serves its more complete purpose in the person of Jesus Christ. Yet not only does Paul speak about our redemption, but he also points out our adoption. In the Greek, the word adoption is huthesia. 
from the Lunita lexicon, it literally means to formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance. So God sent his son that there might be a formal and legal declaration that we are to become sons and daughters of God. We legally become heirs according to the promise. The covenant finds its completeness in the coming of Jesus Christ. No longer are we to concern ourselves with our identity because we find it in our adoption by God. And it is because of this adoption that the Spirit of Christ has breathed within us the desire to cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba being the endearing Hebrew word for Father. In today's words, it would be the word Papa. By this adoption, we are to experience the closest of relationships with the Father. And it is because of that adoption, friends, as the last verse states, that we are no longer slaves to the law. We are no longer children without a full understanding or a full experience of the blessings of God, but rather we are now sons and daughters of God, truly his rightful heirs. We are inheritors of the promise of the abundant life and living it to the fullest. Jesus Christ came to this earth and we have become legally adopted as children of God. And it is with this adoption that we realize a more fulfilling and special life with God. Jesus came that we might be redeemed and that we might be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Oh, dear friend, has something been missing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Has your relationship been very basic and rudimentary? Are you not truly experiencing the full blessings of a relationship with him? Today, Jesus Christ calls out to you. And through the writings of Paul, he calls out to you and says, you cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot redeem yourself. You can only experience life to its fullest through coming and experiencing my adoption. Today, Jesus calls out to you to experience that abundant life in him, to experience the full blessings of his promise. Today, won't you receive that blessing? Won't you receive your redemption and adoption in him? You spoke the words and all the worlds came into order.
of who Jesus is that we can live life to its fullest as the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you sent Jesus and that we are adopted as his sons and daughters. Help us to accept that gift, live in that promise, and live life to its fullest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi everyone, 
we've been focusing on the New START acronym, that's N-E-W-S-T-A-R-T, and today we're looking at S for sunshine. If you're like me, you love being out in the sun. Sunshine boosts our spirits and brings joy to our lives. Our bodies need sunlight in order to stay healthy, so getting proper amounts of sunshine each day is important. Excessive exposure to sunlight, however, can be detrimental to our health, resulting in premature wrinkling, aging of the skin, and skin cancer. But in the right amounts, sunlight enhances our lives by improving our sleep. How does sunlight in the day improve our sleep at night? Have you heard of melatonin? It's a hormone in our bodies that enhances sleep. As we age, our bodies produce less and less melatonin. Studies show that daily exposure to sunlight helps boost our body's production of melatonin, so we sleep better. Next, improving our mood. Most people seem to function and feel so much better when the sun is shining. I know I do. It's well documented that seasonal variations in light levels can have profound effects on mental health. According to the book Health Power by Drs. Deal and Ludington, combined with active exercise, sunshine is an important adjunct in treating acute and chronic depressions. Sunlight also helps boost our immune system and even alleviates pain from swollen arthritic joints. And of course, we all know that we need the kiss of the sun to enable our bodies to manufacture vitamin D. Our bodies need vitamin D in order to use calcium to build strong, healthy bones and for other functions in our bodies. So get on out there into the gorgeous sunshine and get some vitamin D happening. Be careful though, the best hours to be out in the sun are before 10 a.m. and after 2 p.m. Jesus tells us in John 8 verse 12 that He is the light of the world. As the Son of Righteousness, He brings light and healing to our souls. I love that. If you want additional information on healthy eating, visit PCRM.org and you'll find lots of great links to great resources. I'll see you next time. Jesus came and died for us that we might be the sons and daughters of God. Now, right now, friend, you may be asking yourself, how can I accept Jesus? What does it really mean to accept Jesus in my life? Today, I want to offer to you a classic book on the life of Christ called Steps to Christ. It has been a wonderful blessing to me in my life, and I know it will be a blessing for you. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.ItIsWrittenCanada.ca That's www.ItIsWrittenCanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. an abundant life.
and living life to its fullest is only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came in the flesh and died and paid the penalty of sin so we might live. I pray that today you invite Jesus into your heart and that he would be the Lord of your life. I hope today's program was a blessing. I invite you to watch again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you.